0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Well, yeah, I, I think that's your cue to find your seats again. It'd be nice to fellowship all morning and afternoon, but we have some other things to move on to. So glad you're here. Happy again, happy July long weekend. Thank you for not camping. I'm only kidding. I'm glad you're here. Special welcome to those who are watching online. I'm excited to begin our new series. If you don't know, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here, pastor of discipleship. Our usual preaching pastor, Pastor Trevor, is in New Zealand. His family is picking up their daughter, fly her back here, and we'll see Gabby once again. But let me just start by asking you this. Uh, What is the first thought that comes into your mind when you hear the words, Holy Spirit? Maybe it's confusion. Maybe, well, who is the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit operate in my life? Maybe it's discomfort, maybe there's a little bit of uneasiness, a feeling of nervousness because, you know, when we talk, start talking about the Holy Spirit, and it might just get a little weird or awkward, I don't even know what's going to happen next. Maybe it's anger, maybe you get a little upset because, there's, because of people or churches who have neglected the Holy Spirit, or maybe they have um, misapplied or kind of abused the biblical teaching on the Holy Spirit. Maybe, and hopefully, there's a level of gratitude where well, you're thankful for this vital and life-giving ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Uh, too often, though, the, kind of the, the, what, what we come to when we think about the Holy Spirit is just mystery. Too often, it's, it's cloaked in mystery. If you were watching TV in the late 80s or the early 90s, maybe you remember that show, Unsolved Mysteries. You know, it had the creepy music, and you had to, these... Uh, cases, there were true life stories, there were mysteries that were unsolved, and at the end, it was always the unsolved mystery. Maybe you can help. Well, we don't want the Holy Spirit to be an unsolved mystery. Today, we begin our summer series on the fruit of the Spirit, and I hope that we can gain a fuller understanding of this one aspect of the Spirit's work in your life, in everyday life. Pastor Trevor will continue preaching from Genesis in the fall, but until then, for the next several weeks, we'll focus on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Each week, we'll focus on one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit with the goal of living it out in our lives. This morning, however, uh, my assignment is to introduce this important topic. In order to do that, we're going to kind of summarize uh, Galatians chapter 5, where this fruit of the Spirit is found, and kind of overview the Holy Spirit's ministry, particularly as it relates to sanctification. My goal here this morning is to kind of set the theological framework and the foundation that will be built upon in the coming weeks as we talk about each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. To make it a little bit more personal, let me ask you a a, a different question. Do you want to kill sin in your life? Uh, Do you want to live in the freedom of abiding in Christ? Uh, Do you want the resurrection power of the Spirit operating in your life? Do you want to be conformed into the image of Christ? These things happen as the Spirit moves and operates in our lives. So let's engage our minds this morning and think deeply about the ministry of the Spirit. This morning I want to answer this question. How does the Holy Spirit produce His fruit in the believer? Or to ask it another way, what is required for the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in you and me? How does that happen? Is it automatic? Do believers contribute or are they passive? Are there prerequisites or conditions that must be met for the Spirit's fruit to ripen and flourish in your life? Is there anything that prevents or hinders the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Uh, what's the Spirit's role in my life as I pr- pursue likeness? Or what is my role in the Holy Spirit's ministry as He conforms me to Christ? Uh, these are important questions, and we need biblical clarity so we can pursue likeness in a way that's effective and God-honoring. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into it. Uh, Father, we've gathered here to worship you because you are worthy, because you are our great God. Thank you for gathering us here as the church, the body of Christ, that we can fellowship and encourage one another, that we can sing from our hearts uh, the praises that you are due, that we can hear from your word. And I pray during this time that you'd use uh, the truth of your word very specifically in each of our lives. Lord, you know every individual here You know where they're at, what they need, and spirit, I pray that you would minister to them in very personal ways, that you'd use your word to produce conviction, encouragement, to challenge, whatever the need is, that you would care for us in very personal ways through the preaching of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, please turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hands or ushers will gladly supply you a copy to borrow or keep. Galatians chapter 5 will be sort of our base camp, but we'll be kind of moving around a little bit to some other passages. As I said, the goal this morning is to answer the question, how does the Holy Spirit produce his fruit in the believer? To answer that question, we're going to consider the role of the Spirit, uh, the root of the fruit, and the responsibility of the believer Let's begin with the role of the Spirit. The role of the Spirit is freedom. The role of the Spirit is freedom. This first point introduces us to kind of what the Spirit is doing in our life. And in Galatians, the emphasis is freedom. Look with me at Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again, to a yoke of slavery. This first verse begins with a very small word for, uh, which tells us it's giving a summary explanation of the previous section. This, in, chapter, verse, in chapters 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul defends the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone and argues that believers are no longer slaves to sin. We're no longer under the law. We are sons of God because Christ has redeemed us and the Spirit indwells us. For example, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Or Galatians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So, so Christ has set us free. If you are a believer this morning in Christ Jesus, He has set you free through His death, burial, and resurrection. And it's His Spirit that accomplishes that freedom through regeneration and sanctification. this is spelled out for us in Romans chapter 1. Excuse me, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8 says, Therefore, there's, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ. In Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, the operating principle of the Spirit is to give life and freedom, while the operating principle of sin produces death and slavery. As we'll see in in Galatians, when the Spirit is in control of your life, the power of indwelling sin is thwarted and the believer enjoys freedom and now this is important because the fruit of the spirit springs forth from a seed planted in good soil a person who is enslaved to sin will not in fact they cannot live by the spirit and they will not produce spiritual fruit so the really the baseline fundamental starting point for a life rich in the fruit of the spirit is to be indwelt and controlled by the Holy Spirit. Only born-again believers produce spiritual fruit. And hear this. All born-again believers produce spiritual fruit because they have the Holy Spirit in them. And the Holy Spirit actively accomplishes God's purpose to sanctify them. If you're a follower of Christ, the Spirit lives in you, and the Spirit manifests His fruit through you. This is what sanctification is all about. When you think about the fruit of the Spirit, you can really understand it as the fruit of sanctification because sanctification is an essential role of the Spirit. It's the process of becoming holy in your everyday life. It's it's the gradual transformation towards Christ-likeness. And the fruit of your sanctification, listen, the fruit of your sanctification is love. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, the more Christ is formed in you, the more Christ-likeness will come out of you. The more Christ is formed in you, the more Christ-likeness will come out of you, and that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is all about making much of Christ. This is His, in fact, this is His primary purpose. His primary purpose is to exalt Christ, Jesus said in John 16, 14 that the Spirit will glorify Him. The Spirit doesn't make much of Himself. The Spirit makes much of Christ. And the Spirit in your life has the goal of making much of Christ in your life, conforming you to Christ, causing you to love Christ, causing you to, re- to be settled in His love. The Spirit's role in your life is to display Christ and deepen your delight in Christ. So Jesus purchased Freedom, and the Spirit bestows freedom so that Christ is magnified. As I said, the Spirit's role is multifaceted. The Spirit has a lot of um, purposes within uh, His ministry. But in Galatians, the primary emphasis is freedom. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin, and freedom to serve others. Look again at Galatians chapter 5. In the context here, the, Jew, the Jewish believers had apparently visited Galatia after Paul had planted the church. So picture this. Paul plants the church. He preaches the gospel there. There's many converts. There's a church that's established. He, he leaves, continues his tour. And afterwards, Jewish, probably Christians, confused, legalist-type Christians, they come and they argue that Gentile Christians must become circumcised and they must obey the law. They argued that faith alone was not enough. They must have faith plus circumcision, plus the law. And Paul, in his letter, says he calls that a different gospel. A gospel that causes someone to be cut off from Christ and and fall away from grace. He insisted that the role of the Spirit is freedom from the law. The role of the Spirit is freedom from the law. Again, Galatians chapter 5, now verse 2 Look, I, Paul, say to you that if, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obliged to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be just, you who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The the main point here is that you cannot have circumcision and Christ. You cannot have the law and grace. If if righteousness is worked through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Legalism is essentially elevating the law and living for self. We elevate rules and standards and traditions that, that really put a focus on ourselves, which is completely contrary to living by the Spirit. Verse eighteen says, "If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law." The point for you and me, point for you and me, is that legalism squelches the fruit of the Spirit. It's based on a different gospel. Rule keeping and self effort will never produce the fruit of the Spirit. But it's so tempting to think otherwise. We want our list of do's and don'ts. We want to be in control of our life and in control of our sanctification. But God says, don't don't do it. Don't diminish the Spirit's role in your life and try to produce His fruit with your effort. The role of the Spirit is freedom from self-effort, from self-righteousness, and from gospel replacements. You trivialize the cross and minimize the spirit when you reduce the Christian life to rules or systems or check boxes. So the role of the Spirit is freedom, freedom from the law, and next the role of the Spirit is freedom from sin. Look at Galatians 5.13. For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Skip down to verse 16. But I say, walk By the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And now, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. These verses combat the opposite danger of legalism, which is a license to sin. Some thought that because we're not under the law but under grace, we're free to sin. Right, well, I don't need to be under the Mosaic law and God's uh, grace is full and abundant. Therefore, I can sin and keep going. But Paul demolishes that train of thought in Romans chapter 6 where he argues the believers have died to sin. It has no dominion over them. And if you go on sinning, you are a slave to sin, which leads to death. Those who totally reject the law and live in sin... They grieve the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not functionally and fully operate in their life. Essentially, God wants to get your attention. If we're walking in sin, then the Spirit's ministry in our life, is, is, uh, it's grieved. Because God wants to say, there's something going on there. We need to get your attention. The point for you and me is that a license to sin opposes the fruit of the Spirit. Sin and the Spirit are enemies. A casual attitude towards sin will produce the fruit of the flesh. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap corruption. You belong to Christ and your sinful desires have been crucified. So live out your identity and look to Jesus. Run the race with endurance. Rest in Christ and resist sin by renewing your mind to the gospel, by reminding yourself of the truths that are yours, of what was purchased for you on the cross, of the power that operates in your life. God has provided all that is needed to resist sin and to run the race. Now, ultimately, the answer for both legalism and a license to sin is love. Thus, the role of the Spirit is freedom to serve others. Freedom from the law, freedom from sin, and also freedom to serve others, we're given freedom with a purpose. Look at Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Again, verse 13. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. An example of this is described in the next chapter. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught In any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of love. And it's not accidental that the fruit of the Spirit begins with love. Love is a quintessential virtue and the ultimate evidence of the Spirit. The Spirit gives freedom from the law and freedom from sin so that we can love one another. The point for you and me is to examine your life. Do you tend to bite and devour one another? Do you tend to provoke one another or envy others? Are you inclined to serve your own desires and to, uh, to serve your just selfish? Or do, you, or do you tend to sacrifice for others? A life led by the Spirit will inevitably lead to love for others. So your life is not to be governed by the law. Your life is not to be governed by the sinful flesh, but by the Spirit. That's the heart and soul of the Christian living. It's at the center of what it means to be in Christ. And now with that, we're ready to consider the root of the fruit. The root of the fruit. The root of the fruit is fellowship. The root of the fruit is fellowship. Usually when you think of fellowship, you think among believers, but that's not simply what I have in mind. Let's look at this together. If you want to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life, it requires really a healthy and hearty root system. You have to ensure the tree is strong and able to produce fruit. And this root system is cultivated in the heart, uh, which is reflected in your desires and delights. You know, where your treasures, their heart will be also. Uh, we understand that a tree is known by its fruit, right? Fruit reveals the root. If you, if you see a tree with apples on it, you know that it's not a peach tree, right? Peach, peach trees don't make apples. A person is also known by his or her actions. Actions reveal the desires and delights of the heart. Uh, so the root of the fruit is located, again, in the heart, and the heart is the source It's the source, or we could say the soil, where the seed grows and bears fruit. In this case, the seed is the Word of God. It's planted in the nutrient-rich soil of a humble and teachable heart. Then God the Father, the master gardener, connects you to Jesus, who is the vine, and, and produces life and fruit. Thus the seed gets planted at conversion. When, when you recognize your need for Christ, when you recognize that, that you have sinned against a holy God and He is right and just to punish you for your sin, but has by His grace provided a way to be saved, to be rescued from sin, death, and hell, when you come to Christ in faith, the seed of the Word of God is planted in your life. And you become a strong and healthy tree that produces spiritual fruit as you continue in the Word of God, as you continue to nourish and strengthen what God has begun. So a godly man or woman delights in God's Word. You avoid sinful corruption and and you avoid worldliness as you regularly meditate on the glory and beauty of God in His Gospel through His Word. But... So the heart is the source. It, it's, the, it's the place where that seed is planted. But how does the seed germinate? How does it grow and actually bear fruit? I mean, think about it. Fruit is an outcome. It's, it's the result of something. In other words, you don't, make, you don't make fruit. Instead, you nurture a plant that produces fruit. I mean, if you're into gardening, then you planted seeds or starters weeks ago with the expectation that flowers or produce or, or herbs would sprout soon, right? You don't, you don't put seeds, dirt, and water in a blender and make apples, right? It doesn't work that way, right? You plant the seed. We understand how it works. You put the seed in nutrient-rich soil. You water it. Make sure it gets plenty of sun, and you wait for the magic. The plant blossoms and produces fruit, and if you want to, the plant to continue to bear fruit, you continue to water it, and prune it. Well, when you think about the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithlessness, gentleness, and self control the same is true. Fruit is a natural byproduct of life. If a tree is alive, it bears fruit. If a, if a person is alive in Christ, that person bears fruit. That's the nature of life. That life is found in the rivers of living water flowing within the heart, which comes, again, from the life-giving Spirit. You don't simply read your Bible, pray, and go to church, then automatically produce spiritual fruit. Christ-likeness and spiritual fruit are the result of something. In fact, each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit is a gift. It's not earned or ordered online. You don't Christianize the latest self-help book or productivity resource and implement a step-by-step strategy for producing spiritual fruit. It's an outcome or the result of the Spirit's work in your life. So what is the root? What factors lead to fruit-bearing Christians? As I said, the root of the fruit is fellowship. But it's not just any fellowship. The root of the fruit is fellowship with the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians thirteen fourteen, Paul prayed for the believers to know the fellowship of the Spirit. He wanted them to participate in the Spirit, to be filled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and to keep in step with the Spirit. What that means is the Holy Spirit is the dominating influence in your life. You continually surrender your self-focused desires, forsake your sin, and center your life on Christ through His Word so that you can keep in step with the Spirit. In Ephesians 5.18, we're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. A better translation is to be filled by the Spirit. We're already filled with the Spirit, but when we're going to be filled by the Spirit, what does the Spirit fill us with? Well, the parallel passage in Colossians 3.16 says He fills us with the Word of God. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the Spirit fills us with Christ's Word. He gives us a desire to magnify Christ. We enjoy fellowship with the Spirit as we relate to Him and participate in His enabling grace through the Scriptures. The Word of God, after all, is the sword of the Spirit, and He uses it to defend you, to prune you, to transform you, to convict you, to comfort you. The result is Christ-likeness. When we live by the Spirit, He produces Christ in us. Spiritual fruit, therefore, is rooted in abiding in Christ through faith as we walk by the Spirit. This is really essential. On one level, it's so basic, but on another level, it's so often neglected. We, we must have a conscious surrender and awareness of the Spirit's, surrender to ourselves and awareness of the Spirit's work in my life. Even just to pray, not Spirit, I depend upon you today. I want to live and lead my life according to your word, and I need your help. I need your grace. I need your enabling power to work in my life to do that. I want to walk in your ways so that I might not walk in sin. So the root of the fruit is fellowship with the Spirit. And it's also fellowship with the Son. And this only makes sense. Again, the Spirit's role is to exalt Christ In 1 Corinthians 1, 9, we read, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The idea is that believers participate in the spiritual blessings that they have in Christ, and we enjoy these blessings to the fullest as we abide in Christ. To abide in Christ means we remain in him. We trust him to meet all of our needs. We trust him to be all of our treasure, which sounds really good, but if we're honest, We often turn to other things to meet our needs. We often turn to other things to be the treasures of our heart. When we abide in Christ, we say, Christ, you are my delight and you are enough. We remain in his love, as it says in John 15. It requires an ongoing dependence of the Holy Spirit to see and savor the Lord through, again, through his word. I had the privilege of teaching the uh, Taste and See focus group Um, last, couple weeks ago. And one thing we focused on is that we want to go on treasure hunts. Uh, We want to go into God's Word and just see where is the glory. God, lead me to see more of your goodness. We want to go on treasure hunts so that we can see Christ in His Word, so we can see the Spirit and how He operates in our life, so we can see the glory of God and His beauty. And that's what we do. When we abide in Christ, when we're remaining in Him, when we're convinced of His love for us, then it's, it's our delight to walk with him. Fellowship with the with the Son is characterized by the Spirit drawing us into a personal and intimate relationship with Christ. It's not really a coincidence that both Jesus and Paul used horticulture metaphors. Right here, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and Jesus in John 15 uses that abide in Christ, right? The vine abides in the branch. The branch abides in the vine. Because abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit are parallel kind of concepts. When you abide in Christ, you're walking in the Spirit. And when you walk in the Spirit, it enables you to abide in Christ. The the Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ and calls us to delight in Him. And again, this all really, it just makes sense that this this would lead to the, to bearing of the fruit of the Spirit because Jesus himself embodied every aspect of the fruit of the Spirit, right? During his earthly ministry, his life was characterized by love, joy, peace, patience, etc. This was his earthly ministry. He was filled with the Spirit and he perfectly portrayed godliness. When we commune with him, we become like him and the fruit of the Spirit ripens in your life. The Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Christ, will make the qualities of the life of Christ grow in your life. As you surrender to him, as you have an awareness of God's work in your life, as you're feeding your soul and your mind with the truth of God's word, as you're confessing sin, you become more and more like him, which is God's desire for you and for me. So the evidence of fellowship with the Spirit and fellowship with the Son is... Thirdly here, fellowship with the saints. Uh, The the root of the fruit is fellowship with the Spirit and fellowship with the Son, but also fellowship with the saints. This is what God uses very tangibly in our life, right? You can't touch and feel and physically see the Spirit or Christ, but you can the other believers. In John 5.18, after it says, be filled with the Spirit, it goes on to describe Spirit-filled relationships. Addressing one another with psalms, submitting to one another, the characteristics of a godly marriage or a godly family or a godly worker. And in John 15, after after commanding us to abide in Christ, it goes on to insist that we love one another. We already read Galatians 6, 1 and 2, which instructs us to restore one another and to bear one another's burdens. We could turn to 1 John 3, 1 John 1, verse 3 and 7, where it says that Fellowship with the triune God spills over into fellowship with one another. The point is that we need one another. That our relationships within the church, with, with, among other believers, is part of what God uses to produce his fruit in our life. Sin deceives us and hardens our hearts, so we need exhortation and encouragement from others. God designed the church to be where believers comfort and love one another. We serve together, stir one another up towards love and good works, offer mutual care, experiencing meaningful relationship, disciple, hold each other accountable, remind one another of gospel promises. The church is where we give, where we grow in grace, learn the truth, admit shame, worship together, remember through the sacraments, and experience life-giving relationships. All these things nurture and cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The root of the fruit or the source of spiritual fruitfulness is fellowship with the Spirit, with the Son, and the saints. So how is the soil of your heart? Does the Word of God dwell in you richly? Are you abiding in Christ by intentionally remaining in His love? Reminding yourself of your identity in Christ frequently, daily, if not multiple times a day, reminding yourselves of the truth of God's Word, learning it, living it. Do you cherish your relationship with believers in the church? If so, the fruit of the Spirit will grow and mature in your life. If not, any fruit on the tree will begin to rot, and in its place will grow the fruit of personal ambition and vain glory. So what can you do to ensure the fruit of the Spirit grows healthy and you reflect Christ? What exactly is your responsibility? Well, that moves us to the last point. The responsibility of the believer is faith. You want to see the fruit of the Spirit ripen and flourish in your life? Then your simple and most significant responsibility is faith. Now, let me quickly clarify that the faith here, it's not passive. Uh, this, is not, this is not idle. When you take God's word and believe his promises, faith is actually very active. It is fueled by grace-motivated, spirit-enabled, grit and discipline. So what, what does faith do? Uh, faith trusts and treasures Jesus Christ. It, it depends and delights in him. It, it rests and rejoices in the finished Work of Christ. Faith believes God rewards those who seek him. It believes God's promises and then lives accordingly. It considers everything is lost compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. When you have faith, then the eyes of your heart are awakened to see glory. And every glimpse of glory thrills your soul and transforms your life. Listen, faith gives you eyes to see Christ. Gives you eyes to see his beauty, his excellence, his magnificence so that you can go nowhere else. He is the fountain of life. He is the river of delights. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And 1 John 2, 2 and 3 says, Behold, you are God's children now, and what you will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. When the biblical emphasis is that if, if you want to bear fruit, if you want to see spiritual fruit ripen in your life, if you want the the branches of your life, to be just overwhelmed with healthy spiritual fruit, then we need to see the glory of Christ. We see it in his word primarily. see it in creation. But the emphasis here is that we we go, we have a relationship with him, we we nurture it, we're, we're intentional, and we are amazed at our God. We behold the glory of the Lord, and we become like Him. We tap into the enabling power and Christ-exalting presence of the Holy Spirit by faith. In fact, faith is the key that unlocks the door to this vital, transforming ministry of the Spirit in your daily life. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. In fact, any part of our life that does not proceed from faith is sin. So the responsibility of the believer is faith. Let me just elaborate on that briefly and we'll we'll wrap up here. Faith in the life-saving gospel. Faith in the life-saving gospel. This is obvious. This is foundational. As I said earlier, there there will be no spiritual fruit if a person is not a born-again believer. If we've not recognized our need for Christ, if if we've not come to him for forgiveness of sins, And not just at conversion, but if we come to him with this ongoing need of resting in him, depending upon him. We need faith in the life-saving gospel. The Galatians were at risk of reverting to a different gospel. And Paul made it clear that if you add or subtract to the biblical gospel, you have no part with Christ. Even Peter had fallen out of step with the truth of the gospel and acted hypocritically, so Paul rebuked him in chapter 2. The point is that the gospel is our lifeline you don't mess with it and you don't move on from it. You live in the gospel. Contained within the gospel is all that is needed for life and godliness and for the full fullness of the fruit of the Spirit in your life. The gospel is the source of enabling grace and it empowers holy living. The gospel is our comfort, our hope, our confidence. The gospel not only saves you, it also keeps you saved. So daily remind yourself of the gospel. Continue to plumb the depths of its glorious, life-saving truth. Rehearse in it and rejoice in it daily. We don't move on from the gospel. The believer's responsibility is faith in the life-giving gospel. It's also faith in the life-giving Son. This is just an extension of the gospel. Galatians 2, 20 and 21 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. To live by faith in the Son of God is to believe that he supplies all that is needed for life, joy, and contentment. It means you find your identity and your purpose in Christ. Where do you find your identity and purpose this morning? What marks you? What is the most significant thing about you? What would your friends and family say is the most significant thing about you? It marks you. It's your identity. It's your purpose. It has to do with your... It's the reason you get up in the morning. Well, when we live by faith in the Son of God, the reason we get up in the morning is to commune with Christ and to display Christ. So many areas of our life scream for our attention and for our allegiance. They shape our identity and they drive our purpose. But the one thing necessary is to rest in and run to Christ. Seek and set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. It's a daily battle to believe that Jesus loves you and gave his life for you. So we must continually combat the things that call for our attention. We must continually renew our minds and make sure they're aligned with the truth. We must continue to live knowing that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, your father is generous and abundant. He's not stingy. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He loves you so profoundly and we must remind ourselves of this constantly. Our God is for us with us. He draws to us so that we might enjoy his presence. Lastly is faith in the life-transforming spirit. Life, faith in the life-transforming spirit. So we, we end where we started. In Galatians chapter 5, we see the spirit transforms our life. The spirit's at work. He's cultivating the fruit in your life. The, the reason that fruit is singular instead of plural is because it's a whole package, right? It's Christ-likeness. The fruit of the Spirit is Christ-likeness. You may be weaker or less mature in some areas, but the Spirit's at work in every area of your life. And this this faith in the life-transforming Spirit is believing that He's at work. It's surrendering again your life to Him. Not putting forth your own personal agendas. And the fruit of the Spirit will will then be manifest more clearly in your life. Well, when when is it exactly manifest in our life, right? Some some are kind of naturally disposed to be more gentle or more kind or have a little bit more self-control. So how do we know what's the fruit of the Spirit and what's something else? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is most evident when you are Loving, joyful, content, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and self-control in circumstances that is not, excuse me, that is unnatural to be those things. The fruit of the Spirit is supernatural. It's loving the unlovely. It's rejoicing during trials. It's being at peace with your enemy. It's long suffering amidst provoking circumstances, it's deliberate kindness, it's godliness in a corrupt culture, it's faithfulness in a world of compromise, it's gentleness even when you've been wronged, it's self-controlled when temptations rage. Believe that the God, believe that God is at work in your life so that you are ready to keep in step with the Spirit. And the way you cultivate the Spirit enabled faith I've mentioned it countless times. We nurture it by a regular and healthy diet on God's word, in prayer, fellowship with the saints. We pray for God's sustaining grace. We, we Again, we, when you wake up in the morning, if you're anything like me, your default position is to the flesh, right? You don't, you don't wake up walking in the spirit. You wake up, walking in the flesh. So you, you begin your day with, God, God, help me. Help me to resist my selfish ambition. Help me to resist the temptations that will come today. I must. If I walk in the Spirit, you say, I won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And I don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh. So help me to keep in step with the Spirit. Renew my mind with the truth. I need to go to God's Word. And as I said, you go on a treasure hunt. You look for the glory of Christ. You look for the beauty of Christ. You have your, your heart and your soul thrilled and amazed with who God is so that you, you leave your time in the Word. Could, is that true? Could God be that awesome? Could He, could he be that good? And you're, you're amazed. And you're ready to walk in the Spirit. You're ready to believe in the resurrection power of the Spirit operating in your life and fight for sweet fellowship with the triune God. If you think about it, the triune God is already enjoying sweet fellowship. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit... They have the sweetest, purest fellowship possible. And God calls you, calls you says, come. Come enjoy the fellowship that we're enjoying. We want you to be a part of it. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit, to abide in Christ, to live the Christian life. As I close here, in the coming weeks, you'll hear a sermon on each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. The preacher will encourage you and challenge you to be a man or woman marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You, however, however, will not see any of those virtues flourish in your life if you are not mindful of the role of the Spirit, the root of the fruit, and your own responsibility. The Spirit gives freedom from self-effort and selfishness so you can serve others. Uh, The way to ensure life characterized by freedom and the fruit of the Spirit is to prioritize fellowship with the triune God and with believers. And the way to remain in communion with God is to live by faith, is to live by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. So let's have our minds saturated with God's word, our hearts surrendered to God's spirit, our faith centered on God's son and our sight set on bearing fruit for the glory of God. He's worth it, isn't it? He's worthy of it. Let's pray. Father, we've taken some time this morning to think about the ministry's role. It's much more vast and involved than we could consider here this morning, but I, I trust we've been challenged. Lord, I just ask that uh, your Spirit would be actively ministering to us even now, that if there is some kind of area in a person's heart even now that they're, they're, there's a conviction or there's an encouragement or that there's some area of their life that they know they need to change, uh, Lord, I, I pray that you would press in there and that they would make a meaningful decision to make a change, believing that your spirit Spirit provides the grace needed to make that change. Lord, or if there's some area where we need to renew our mind, or if there's some practice where we need to change, or if there's some habit that needs to be adjusted, Lord, we want to see the fruit of the spirit manifest in our life, but we can't do it on our own. So we pray that we would see this gospel take root in our hearts more deeply, more profoundly, We would see the glory of Christ and be transformed by it, that your fruit might be part of our lives and that you might be honored and praised and worshipped because of Christ displayed in our life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com